We had over 50 every day in the high school class. This is my fifth year in teaching the high school in VBS. And, and every year, uh, it's one of my favorite weeks out of the year, of just spending time over an hour every single day, opening up the Word of God and digging in with them. What we have done in a high school class in the VBS sessions has been a little bit different than what most of the younger kids are doing downstairs. We, we tend to go a little deeper, maybe in a different direction. And I wanted to share with you some of the things that we talked about in a high school class, and then specifically one lesson in particular I believe will be a blessing to us. We looked at the theme of 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, which says, I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. One of the things we noticed in our very first study together is that Satan's battlefield is the mind, and his main weapon is lies and deception. He doesn't want to get our bodies sick. He wants us to twist, distort, to change how it is we see truth in God's word. If he can affect our mind, he can affect everything there is about us. And that's what he did with Eve in the very beginning. It's very cunning in how he shifted the way that Eve and Adam saw and thought about the words and commandments of God. And Paul says that's the very same method he is using against us today. And so we trace that concept of deception with the phrases that are found in the New Testament, do not be deceived looking at some of the common lies of Satan, such as 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And the lie that's being sold there is, it's my body, it's my choice, I can do what I want to do with, with my body. And Paul says that's not the case. Or Galatians 6 and verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked for whatever one sows, as he will also reap. That it really doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we believe or how we, uh, what behavior we engage in, and obviously... Paul is saying every choice we make, every belief that we consider has great consequences, whether positive or negative, and we need to weigh those consequences. And we did on Friday by looking at, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Maybe the, one of the most uh, dubious, deceitful lies is about God, the nature of God, that God is not good, that God is the source of evil and conflict in this world, and it's causing the people of God to question their loyalty and their trust to God. One of my favorites, though, was a class I did not teach. One of my favorites was on Tuesday when Noah Holt led our study, and the class he took us through was on discernment, developing discernment. The lie comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. More often than not, when we draw an application from this verse, we talk about make good friends, choose wise friends, and that's an apt application. But the context of 1 Corinthians 15 takes us a lot deeper than just the friendships we have. It talks more about our discernment, about the sources of truth. And in 1 Kings chapter 13, we have this very unique study. It's a case study, if you will, an example that points to the example of discernment, the importance of discernment. 1 Kings 13, there's a man of God who is sent to go and to preach a condemning message to the king. And God gives him Direct orders when he says in verse 8, The man of God says to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall, not, you shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. And so this young man of God is told that he is to preach a message, but he's not to eat, he's not to drink, he's not to return the same way he went. 
He's to do what God told him and then to wait for further instruction. Well, here's where our story picks up, where it all changes. Verse 11, an old prophet was living in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the deeds which the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken to the king. These they also related to their father. Their father said to him, which way did he go? Now his sons had seen the way which the man of God came from Judah and gone. Then he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode away on it. So he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. He said, I cannot return with you nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a command came to me by the word of the Lord. You shall eat no bread nor drink water there. Do not return by going the way which you came. He said to him, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it came about as they were sitting down at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the command of the, God, of the Lord and have not observed the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. And it came about after he had eaten bread and had drunk that he saddled his donkey for him, for the prophet whom, whom he had brought back uh, he settled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. Now when he had gone, a lion met him on the way and killed him. And his body was thrown on the road. And the donkey standing beside it, the lion also was standing beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown on the road and the lion standing beside the body. So they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. Now when the prophet who had brought him back by the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who disobeyed the command of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. Then he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. He went and found his body thrown on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had not eaten the body nor torn the donkey. So the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back. And he came to the city of the old prophet to mourn and to bury him. He laid his body in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. After he had buried him, he spoke to his son, saying, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the thing shall surely come to pass which he cried by the word of the Lord against the author in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria. It's a really sobering story, isn't it? Young man of God sent on a mission. An old prophet comes and sells him a good story. That even though you've been told one thing, God told me something different. He lies. The young prophet believes him. And in following the message of the old prophet, it comes with a disastrous consequence that this young prophet loses his life. Just a moment. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. The context of what's going on in Corinth is not they had friends that they were choosing and making along the way. This isn't the message for young people at a young people's weekend. There were some in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12 that were preaching, teaching that the resurrection had not taken place. 
is if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And therefore, when he says, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals, what he is saying is be very careful about the source of truth, about believing truth, about believing one's message without weighing it against the true standard of truth. Don't just accept any message, any teaching, any belief without weighing it carefully against the word of God. And that's what discernment really is. Discernment is the trait of judging wisely and objectively about being very considerate about the voices we hear from. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 ought to impress upon us in sort of a haunting way, in a very sobering story about someone who listened to a voice of truth and yet that voice believed it was true, said it was true, ultimately it was a lie and it came with consequences. I want you to walk something through with me. What made the voice of that older prophet so convincing? What was it that led to this young man of God believing and following the voice of the older man and I think there's a few things here that we need to consider about these false standards often we rely on for truth first of which is feelings and emotions the very way he introduces himself to this young man he says are you the man of God before this only God calls this young man the man of God but the prophet comes with flattery on his lips are you the man of God Right? He doesn't call him a youth, he doesn't call him sir, he doesn't call him a brother, as Jewish men would call one another. Are you the man of God? It's really easy to manipulate one's emotions, to allow someone to feel friendly, to feel good, to have a sense, a feeling in our gut that I really trust this person and I trust their message. And there's a lot of people who allow what they feel to be the barometer for something that's right or wrong or true or error. And yet the proverb says that there may be something that feels right, seems right, it feels good to me, but that doesn't necessarily make it right. See, when Apostle Paul was Saul, he felt like he was doing the right thing and persecuting the church, and yet it was shown to him that it actually was not. And so just because someone may manipulate our feelings, sometimes it's the way they preach, and they preach as if they're your best friend, or they teach as if you're close friends, and you lower our guards and our defenses in order to believe them as true. Sometimes it's when people speak really demeaning and aggressive, and speak really bold, and it says, wow, that guy must really know what he's talking about. Can't argue against him. Feelings and emotions are not a barometer of whether or not something is right or wrong or true or, or error. Same as position. He came in verse 18 saying that he was a prophet just like you. In fact, not only did he say he was a prophet in verse 18, but he says, I'm a prophet and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. That's kind of hard to argue with. I'm a prophet just like you are. I'm not an average person, and I know God told you something, but God also told me something. And God told me something that changes what he told you. I mean, how do you argue with that? The Lord directly told me through an angel, and this is what the Lord told me, and I'm now telling you. That's really important for us to understand today. Because there are some who claim to be in high positions of authority, and without a doubt, not even religiously, we tend to give a greater level of deference to people in higher positions. Politicians get great deference. Uh, celebrities, for some reason, get great deference over the things they talk about. But even here, and this is, which, which, this is where it comes to us, whether it's elders or preachers or teachers, there's a great level of respect that are given to people who teach the word of God, but that respect cannot come blindly. There are some even in the days of the Apostle Paul who were claiming to be apostles of Christ and were not. 
And there's some today who say, my message is truth. I'm teaching to you the truth. I'm preaching to you the truth. And just because someone says something is true doesn't make it true. Where this gets a little harder is that not only is this true about preachers and teachers and elders among our situations, this is also true about parents for our children. Ultimately, we are to trust our parents, and we can trust godly parents, and we believe that they are going to do the best they can to lead us in the ways of the Lord. But, but Jesus said, he laid down as a prerequisite of discipleship, that if we trust or lean more on the words of our own family than we do Christ, that we're not worthy of following him. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That if I look to the words of mom and dad before I look to the words of Christ, or maybe the greater question that forces this to a conclusion is, if my mom and dad walked away from all of it today, if my wife or my husband stepped away from everything today, would I still be true to King Jesus? That indicates a source of great deference, of truth, a great source of, of dependency on where we draw our allegiance to God or not. So position, just because someone claims just because someone claims to be wise, just because something, someone claims to be a teacher, just because someone claims their message to be true, doesn't make it so. And then there's tradition. It's not just that he was a prophet. In verse 11, he was an old prophet. And that's where we get hard. That's where we get hit here. Is that we tend to, because it was written in the old law, and those of us who have been raised by respectful parents, parents who have a great a great concern about respect towards others. We, we, we follow what's laid down in that old law about honoring those who are gray-haired. And yet that honoring those who are older than us, giving a, a sense of respect towards those who are older, isn't a blind respect. Because even what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 13, verse 7, about following those who have led us, he says, remember those who have led the word of God, who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, he doesn't just say follow their example. He says considering the results of their conduct imitate their faith. In other words, look at the way they've lived. Look at how they're teaching. Look at the results of that faith. And if it seems to be in concert with God and his will, then follow that person. It's not a blind obedience. It's not a blind following. It's someone who has proven themselves through how they live that they are in, in harmony with God and his word. And in that light and in that example, that's who you imitate and follow. And so just because someone's older... Just because someone has been a Christian for a long time, just because they are a senior saint, just because they've been preaching for many, many years, doesn't mean necessarily that the things they are saying are right or true. And that also comes to us in everything we're doing here. That just because we have done something before, just because we've done something for a long time doesn't make it right. It's easy as Jesus pulled out with the Pharisees. It's really easy for us to take man-made traditions and to elevate them to the level of God. He said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When we elevate our traditions to the level of God. Just because we've done something for a long time, just because it's been done before, just because we're doing something right now doesn't make it right, nor does it make it wrong. Our standard has to be deeper than this, more grounded, grounded than this, more firm or stable than this. You know what catches me when I read the story? So verse 11, the, the older prophet hears about the young guy, right, the young man, this man of God. And as soon as he hears about his success, his immediate response is crafting this plan to deceive him. 
He asks his sons where he is. He gathers his horse, and then he goes directly after this young guy. But did you notice the end of the story, how the old man responded? Have you wrestled with this before? Because that seems strange, doesn't it? He deceived the young man. He's, he straight up lied to the young guy. And then when he's killed by a lion, he weeps and he mourns. And it's not just that. He takes him and he cares for his body and he buries him. And then he says, when I die, I want you to bury me with him. Do you know what that shows us? And again, I think so much of this is, in our, is, is directly related to things we face today. There are some today who are deceitful on purpose, and they want to mislead people on purpose, and they know what they're doing, and they know the consequences, and they don't care. It happens. It happens all the time on media and on social media. Wikipedia is a source of I don't care, I'm going to put it out there. But it even happens with the Bible. But then there are some who may be more in line with this guy, they're having fun. Maybe they're saying things that are charged, things that get attention, things that people would find off-putting, things that jab and poke, and they're just having a good time. They love the attention that it brings, but they're not thinking about the consequences of their actions and not realizing that statements that to them may seem innocent. I'm just throwing things out there. I'm just trying to shake trees. It doesn't matter. I'm just getting people awake. I'm just causing people to think can lead someone to a disastrous consequence. There's a reason we have verses like James 3 and verse 1, which says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. And that applies across the board. It applies to teachers and Bible classes. It applies to teachers who teach one-on-one -on -one across the table. It applies to every person who will stand behind the pulpit in the word of God. Everyone who teaches this word is going to be held responsible for it and accountable for it. It's also why we have verses like this one. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Ooh. The lie of the older prophet directly led to the death of the younger man. Was the younger man exempt? No, he believed a lie, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. But his actions came with consequences, grave consequences. For some today who want to be casual and fun and treat the pulpit like a game, like a TikTok video, like a dry bar comedy hour, saying fun things, not considering the results of the things that they are saying or teaching or preaching, and that applies to us in every classroom we are in. There's consequences to what it is we are doing. Some of them are great. They're great consequences, like what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do, uh, as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. That if I'm really careful and considerate with the word of God and making sure that what is being taught, it's not my words and my opinions and my slant. I'm just teaching what's here. And I'm trying to be faithful and careful to the word of God and humble with this word of God. There's great consequences that it can help ensure and strengthen the souls and the salvation of those souls. But the opposite is true. If I'm casual with this word and careless with this word and I just treat it like a platform for me to preach my agendas and my thoughts and my conclusions and I run all over the brethren with it, then I can be the very reason that pushes people farther and farther away from God. 
Now, there's one other element in the story. 1 Kings 13. The young man was pretty convinced when the king offered him to come into his house. He says, you could offer me all you have, and I'm not doing this. But as soon as the older prophet came and said, you know, funny, funny you should say that. God came to me and told me a message. You know what we don't have after verse 15 and 16? There's not a 16b which says, and the young man of God, man of God. Notice the contrast. Old prophet, God's description, man of God. This man of God does not seek his God. He doesn't get down on his knees and says, oh Lord, I am conflicted because I'm hearing two messages, which is true. Nor does he ask the older prophet, who told you this? What, what angel, what messenger told you this? Because what I'm hearing and what you're saying are two different messages. He doesn't ask about the message. He just blindly receives it. And if there's anything we find consistent through Scripture, it's this. It doesn't matter who is the messenger. It doesn't matter who is proclaiming or teaching. Every single time a truth, a message is given, we are a people who must weigh that carefully and considerably against the Word of God. Test everything. What falls into everything? Well, throw it in there. Every blog, every video, every sermon, every Bible class, every post, every message, test everything. Against what? Against the Word of God. Proverbs would say, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his step. So I like the paraphrase, which says, the gullible believes anything they're told. Ricky today type, uh, taped some $5 bills under every pew. If you look under your pew, right, there it is. Whoa, where's my, where's my $5? The gullible believe anything. But notice, the prudent, the wise, they sift and weigh every word. I love the language. The Old West and the people looking for gold. I know this is not the Old West, but it what comes to my mind. It happened in the days of Israel, too. I just think of the Old West. Those who came out west looking for gold would get their pants and they'd get in the water and they'd scoop it up and then they'd start sifting and sifting and sifting and they're looking for gold. They have to get through a lot of mud and a lot of dirt and a lot of worthless junk before they find something precious. They don't just grab it and say, ah, treasure. No, they're looking carefully to find something that's worthwhile. They sift and weigh every word. But you see the effort and the work and the concentration it takes to find that truth? Maybe the one closest to home for us is that even when a Holy Spirit-filled and inspired apostle was preaching and teaching, the brethren in Berea, they were more noble-minded than those of Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, but they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But he's an apostle. He wrote half the New Testament. If there's anyone you could say, we can take it easy on this guy. He knows what he's talking about. It doesn't matter if it's someone we know. It doesn't matter if it's someone that a lot of people like. It doesn't matter if they teach or preach or come from a congregation and on their sign outside is Church of Christ. It doesn't matter if they're older and more respected and have a great reputation. Every single message, whether if it is a book, a blog, a sermon, a teaching, a post, must be held to the standard of God's word. Why is this so important? Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. The gullible 
will believe any lie and easily be led astray. The message is be discerning. Think through what is being taught. Think through what it is that you are hearing and make sure before you accept it as truth, you know it to be truth by the word of God. Now, one of the things I loved, we got through all of this, and then Noah said, I've got some things I want to share from my perspective. And that's what I want to end with us today is that he talked about his daily steps to develop discernment. And this came from someone who has now wrapped up his freshman year in college, going into his sophomore year. But here's a young man who is taking great diligence to develop discernment. And I think his principles will apply to every one of it. I'm going to be putting them into practice this week and walking this off the page. Here's number one. The first thing I hear, the first thing I hear out of the day. Here's the reality. If my first thing out of the day is Facebook, I'm starting my day bad. I'm starting my day poorly because I'm starting my day with a fire hose of a lot of information, majority of which is garbage. If I'm starting my day on the news, Fox News, CNN, Ben Shapiro, doesn't matter who it is, I'm starting my day poorly. I'm starting my day with the words of men. First thing I hear needs to be true. Because everything else I hear that day has to be held according to a certain standard. I need to start my day with the words of truth, my foundation. God told that young warrior Joshua, he says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Here's what he's saying. I want you in my word, and I want it day and night. Start your day with the word of God. Well, I'm not coherent in the morning. Then get some coffee. Maybe turn it on audibly as you're going through your morning. But can you imagine how different our day would be if we began with the words of truth? And let that be our foundation. Because then... When all the flood of information comes, and it will come whether you want it or not. It'll come at school for our young people. It'll come to grown-ups when we go to work, when we contact our peers. If and when we choose to get online, the flood of information will come. It's great to have a great foundation then. But the second step is pausing, reflecting, and regrounding. That is when I am under the volume of great noise and information to take the time to pull back to step away, to pause, think, and reground myself on truth. Before I accept this as truth, pause, think, go back to the source and the standard, then move forward. Far too many of us are too quick on accepting things as truth, sometimes about each other, about one another, without getting all the information. Sometimes about God and what the Word of God says. If we would take some time and slow down and take what it is we are hearing and sift through the noise and to see whether or not this is true, one of the phrases I like comes from one of the songs we sing. It's Psalm 119, verse 9 and 10. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Notice, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. What keeps me grounded and focused on God? The Word of God word of God. So before I accept something as truth, I know this to be truth, slow down. Think it through. Take it back to the word and then pray, 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 pray. Prayer is not God give me what I want. We're using prayer wrong if that's the way we're looking at it. Prayer is not directing God to my needs. 
Prayer is realigning my will with God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the prayer. Lord, I humbly come asking, asking for your will to be done. Help me to see truth as you have said truth is in your word. Help me to follow you correctly. Help me to know you as you have revealed yourself. Help me to be true. Praying, praying, praying consistently as we're reading, consistently as we're thinking, consistently as we're growing. Pray, pray. And then time with godly people. Again, it's not blind. But the whole concept of discernment doesn't mean, well, I can't trust anyone. I don't trust anyone anymore. That's not the point. What it means is, my trust in others does not compare to my trust in God. I just blindly accept what others say because I love them and care for them and they accept it as true without taking it to the source of truth. That's how you get led astray very easily. Not everyone does it on purpose. Sometimes we say things on accident. When I first started preaching, I could not get Samson and Samuel right if you had paid me to do so. And they did pay me, and I still couldn't get it right. Samson and Samuel were always wrong. Aquila and Priscilla and Ananias and Sapphira, I would get those mixed up all the time. And no one knew who was right and wrong in the book of Acts. Sometimes we get things mixed up and we don't do it on purpose. Which is why our trust in others always, always is lesser than our trust in God. Everything that is said must be measured, must be filtered through the message of truth. Time with godly people can help, though. The proverb describes it as something sweet, like oil and perfume that makes the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friends. And so before I accept something as truth, maybe it's something new, maybe it's something different, let me take it to those who I know. Again, back to that Hebrews passage, those whose conduct, the result of their faith has proven themselves that they are true to the word and conscience about the word. And so let me lay this to them and see what they think. And maybe it's in harmony and the things that I'm thinking and believing are right in the word of God. Or maybe I share it with them and they're thinking, I, I don't know how you got to that conclusion. I don't think that's right. Let me share with you my perspective. But wise counsel from godly people can help us to remain true to the word of God. There's a great analogy to this. We've used it a few times before in some of our classes and some of our lessons, and here's where we'll end it. There are some who are paid to determine the difference between the counterfeit dollar and the real dollar. Sounds like an awful task every day looking at those green bills. I don't know if you've looked at it before, but if you look at all the different variations of counterfeit dollars, it's very unique, and in fact, it's quite ingenious. If they put that much time into actually working a job and making money, they would be fine. They would be made. When they test the dollars to determine whether a fake dollar is fake or not, the study is rigorous, but the study is not about all the variations of all the different counterfeit dollars. The study to become the tester is simply this. Can you know the genuine dollar? They know everything about it. They know the shade of the coloring. They know every print, every line, and where it's supposed to be, and what shape and size. They know the feel and the texture of that dollar. They know that dollar perfectly so that when any variation comes across their table, they can recognize it immediately. We don't have to go out and learn every false teaching and sniff out every false doctrine. Brethren, all we must do is be completely committed to the word of God, to know this word inside and out. And if we commit ourselves to truth and to following this truth, when something that is not truth comes across it, we'll know. Well, no, because we've devoted our lives to the standard of what's true. It's going to bless me. I'm going to walk it off the page. 
I'm thankful that Brother Noah shared it, and I think it'll bless us as well. Thank you for listening so well today. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.